This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Bobby Body, spine surgeon, president, and founder of Atlanta Spine. Dr. Body, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. What are the top issues that are consuming most of your time today? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, we, we started off as primarily a hospital-based practice um, and then built our surgery center over the last few years. It's actually our six-year anniversary today, so um, it's cool to celebrate that with you all. Um, we The top challenges for us in the last one or two years, I think, is, is, has been universal for everyone. I mean, we it's hard to get hospital time and do the surgeries that we and our patients so desperately need and want. Um, that's been our, our largest challenge. I mean, if we didn't have the surgery center, we'd be, you know, we'd be up a creek a little bit um, doing these operations. You know, most of my surgeries, at least half, were done at the hospital, and I, I do about 25 to 30 surgeries a month. And with the hospitals not having um, staff and having high census numbers as far as COVID, we've had a really difficult time scheduling cases. I mean, this week alone, three of my cases were moved from the hospital. So if the surgery center didn't exist and the ambulatory setting didn't exist for us, um, you know, we wouldn't be in business right now. So th- those are the big challenges we're facing on a, on a pretty much daily basis, you know, uh, and that comes with its own set of, you know, workforce uh, supply issues, um, so supply chain issues for even us. Uh, but those have been the big problems that we're facing in, in, throughout the pandemic and now we're even facing in 2022 with the Omicron surge. Got it. I think that's fascinating. And really, when you look at the opportunity um, to bring more cases in the outpatient setting and ASCs in particular, um, how do you see that evolving? And, and where do you really um, see it being most um, effective going forward? Do you see there being more spine in the future in those settings? Or how will that play out? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question. You know, the, for us, we, we're not always the best at advocating for what, you know, what we need and what we need to take care of our patients. And the big thing here is advocating and making sure that those codes that are inpatient only and CMS, you know, tends to give them back to us and take them back. Those codes that are inpatient only need to be outpatient. Certainly the big concern and question we have is getting in network with some of, you know, a lot of these commercial payers uh, as you know, there's a No Surprise Act that came out this year uh, from Congress. We want to make sure that we don't have surprise billing, and a lot of that billing is out of network billing, right? So a lot of the challenges we face right now are coming from not only the fact that we're running into you know, workforce shortages and things like that, but it's also just making sure that we can perform those surgeries in an outpatient setting, and then we're going to get reimbursed adequately. At the end of the day, surgery centers save the medical industry, the, the medical health uh, sector of our world, a lot of money. We're, you know, we're way cheaper than a, a large behemoth hospital as far as overhead and the ability to do things. That comes with its own set of challenges, certainly, right? We, we don't want to do things that are unsafe. So that's where the technology comes in. We're able to do these surgeries much more efficiently in an outpatient setting. We believe infection risks go down and the cost of healthcare is driven down because of those things. So there, there's a lot of different factors. And I'm sure, you know, certainly you all host a conference every June in Chicago talking about the same, you know, spending hours talking about this, but that, those are simply the challenges we're facing. And it's a reality at this point. Got it. I, I think that makes a lot of sense and really is something that we're hearing um, across the board in terms of looking at some of those codes that were removed from the ASC payable list um, for 2022. When you look at the lasting legacy of COVID-19, what do you think that will be on healthcare in general? 
I think honestly, um, Lord, they're, we're gonna they're gonna drive out. We're gonna be seeing a lot of surgical procedures being driven into the outpatient setting. I mean, if you think about it, and this is this goes with every single nosocomial infection, right? I mean, the hospitals are a brewing bed for those, and the hospitals are designed to take care of very sick people. There's zero reason for elective surgeries to be in the hospital, especially if they can be done in an outpatient setting safely. We have to be the ones advocating for that because nobody else is going to. And we are the biggest patient advocates at the end of the day. We, doctors are held to a higher standard uh, because we have to obey those standards. Certainly, I mean, you know, hospital administrators, they don't have that. I mean, they, they certainly care about patients. And they want to take good care of people. But we are, we are the biggest patient advocates. And so we need to take care and making sure that those things do end up in an ambulatory setting and we can safely do those procedures. Not to mention, if we're not doing them, uh, we are backlogged for months. I mean, if you think, look at our fourth quarter, just in our practice, and certainly this is anecdotal at best, but, you know, our numbers were significantly reduced because we weren't able to take care of those patients. Where are those patients going now? Are they even getting care? Are they still hurting? You know, these are questions that society needs to answer. We need to make sure that we are talking to our senators or representatives to make sure that these cases are, you know, going to the right place and people are getting taken care of like they should be. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. And, you know, when you talk about um, connecting with representatives and other people, lawmakers and those who have influence over some of these policies, what do you do when you get their ear? What are some of the messages that you send and how can um, physicians and surgeons in particular really be strong advocates with the time that they do have um, with their elected representatives? Yeah, you know, we have precedents for this in other states. Like Georgia's interesting in that sense. We we certainly get to get the ear of some of these representatives and governors all the time. And our conversation really does focus around what are, what are other states doing? I mean, for instance, in the, in the South Carolina uh, yesterday, the uh, CON uh, ruling there got um, overruled in the House of Representatives, or I think the Senate, and, the, and it sounds like it's going to get both uh, houses to approve getting rid of the certificate of need in South Carolina, that's a huge deal. At this point in time, uh, as a practice, we are growing. We're merging with another group. We're merging with a physiatry group. We're going to have 11 locations, three surgery centers. But that doesn't do us any good if I can't get surgeons to come there and operate. And the biggest challenge we're getting is we're a single specialty LNR. I can't bring in a neurosurgeon to my surgery center. I can't bring in an anesthesiologist to do pain in my surgery center. Um, these are big setbacks. And the only reason this is happening is because they don't want us to get together and, and be an outpatient force to take care of patients, which is just not good for patient care. So we, that's what I tell my governor, my state representative, when I see him or her, is that, hey, look, at, look, at, look around you. Look at, look at Florida South. Look at South Carolina North. I mean, we're going to lose good physicians, good caretakers to these states. And not, not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, people go where the need is, but these are things that we need to change in our state to give better care. That's a really good point. And it's nice, I, I'm sure, in Georgia to be able to have those uh, connections with the, the representatives and have their ears because it's such an important way to advocate for patients and healthcare delivery. Well, so, I mean, I think they're listening. It's a, it's a good conversation going so far. Hopefully, it'll be more productive and, and you know, get somewhere. We're, we're trying. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, when you think about your own practice, what are some of the big opportunities for growth? I know you mentioned, um, you know, merging with other physicians and, and adding services. Where else do you see really big uh, opportunities there? 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're totally hitting the spot. I mean, we merged because we were trying to figure out how to grow organically. And for the last three and a half years, that's what we've been doing. We we brought in doctors, we brought in physicians. Um, we have looked at you know other uh, in, you know income uh, streams. Certainly, as far as ancillaries, DME, uh, imaging. Um, the big thing for us, growth-wise, was just to merge with a, a group that has a like mind to us, um, and that automatically took us to, you know, from five locations to 11 or 12, I don't know what we have anymore, and one surgery center to three uh, with the merger complete this month. So it, our big uh, issue has certainly been just getting the right the right providers here, too. I mean, that, those, those are big growth opportunities for us. Having people come in with the right mindset, the ability to perform minimally invasive surgery in an outpatient setting. I mean, those are the things that our foundation is based off of. And I think a lot of good spine centers around the country, I mean, if you, you know, you can name them uh, off the top of your head, they, they're all participating in these calls with you. I mean, those are, the, I think everybody's on the same path here. And that's the way we're going to increase our ability to take care of these patients. The technology is a big factor in that, I think. I mean, we weren't able to do, you know, lumbar, ALIS, anterior fusions uh, years ago um, in the outpatient setting. And with new technology, new medication streams, the ways of doing these surgeries in a minimally invasive way, we are able to do them. So technology plays a big factor in that, and that's where our growth potential is coming from. That's an excellent point. And, you know, thinking about the technology side of it, obviously we've grown to accept a lot more minimally invasive and less invasive um, instruments and systems for those types of procedures, as well as the pain management side of it. Um, what do you see as upcoming? What's the next iteration or the next things down the line that you're really excited about in terms of technologies and platforms? Yeah, you know, if you asked me the same question five, 10 years ago, I would have told you expandable cages and all, the, all those good things. Uh, motion spring devices certainly, I think, are going to make a comeback. Uh, you know, the ability for us to not completely um, decorticate and remove the facets and destabilize spine and continue motion sparing at certain levels, even you know, in the octogenarians, is very important. I think we're we've come a long way in the last ten years with that. Um, for me, it's still, I, you know, again, there's still a place um, for a lot of my patients that have sagittal balance and you know deformity issues that I, I want to correct those things. And that's where these patients get end up going to the hospital, but we're still able to do those surgeries minimally invasively. Um, yeah, those are things I'm excited about. And even with the expandable technology, you know, we are so used to sort of putting the cage in and, and still creating end plate damage and expanding the cage and then having subsidence still happen. A lot of these newer um, technologies are relying on the apophyseal ring, circumferential um, expansion, and those things are really important too. So I think we're still fighting the same battles, to be honest. I, I just think our technology has gotten better. I mean, you know, letting people know that you know, the, the the laser spine and things like that just don't exist. I mean, that I spent half my time just doing that. I mean, so giving people a realistic expectation with the right technology, I think, is very important in what we do. So I would say definitely still the same. I'm still I'm still barking up the same tree, you know. Uh, it's still the motion sparing devices and still the expandable technology that's going to make things a lot easier for us to deliver really good spine care to our patients. Well, that's great to hear. And, you know, really sounds like um, exciting, continued evolution, growth and development in the spine technology space. Dr. Body, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure speaking to you all. Have a great day.